0: On Inside the Ropes this week, a deep dive into the Open Championship at Royal St George's. And exactly how good is Colin Morikawa? We track down the irascible and sometimes controversial Scottish journalist John Huggins. Plus, we drop in on the Outback Queensland Masters. That's all coming up. Let's go.
1: You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must listen to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite
0: podcast app. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 216 of Inside the Ropes. I'm Martin Blake, Media Manager of Golf Australia. Thanks for joining us as we have a close look at golf around the globe. Highlighted of course by one of the great weeks of the year, the Open Championship and one of the very best players in the world as well, Mike Clayton in Colin Morikawa. Welcome, Clates. And exactly how good is he, do you think?
2: Well, they all look great when they win majors. When John Rahm won the US Open, he looked fantastic. Morikawa, he looks like he's the best iron player out there. He plays in a way reminiscent of Bernard Langer and Hale Irwin, who are the, probably the two most precise iron players of my time on the tour. I mean, Langer was extraordinary and Morikawa sort of emulates the precision of the German. So he's great to watch and he's, you know, much, he's accurate, which is kind of something unusual in an era of power and a lot of players not caring so much about how straight they hit it, but how far they hit it. So he kind of picked that course apart with precise tee shots and incredible iron shots.
0: Number up to number three in the world, Morikawa, and uh, of course Louis Oosthuizen. Oosthuizen was a another story of the week. You know, uh, going into the last round with the lead and then ending up finishing third. Uh, we, we'll talk a little bit later with John Huggan about all this. Uh, Huggy having been on the ground, but uh, I always think that Oosthuizen, uh, you know, he's he's not probably a great finisher. I, I'm not going to say he's a choker because. All golfers, especially pro golfers, when they play that much, there's there's always a few times that, the, that they'll throw one away. Louis doesn't seem to, you know, he doesn't hit the, you know, or make the horrendous error. It's just a sort of a slow bleed it tends to be. I, I think he's a, a great, great player, but um, he's not getting the quite the, the wins in majors that, that he would like to. I think he's had two seconds and a third this year. So it's, he's an interesting case in point, isn't he?
2: He is. He, he's, I, I saw he, he's made $3.1 million in the majors alone this year, so he's had a great year financially. But, uh, you know, he had a short short iron into the second green, and you can't miss that right, that green. You know, he missed it right down the hill there. And 37 going out with a, with a and a bogey on seven, which was unforgivable, really. I mean, Spieth eagled it. Everyone else was burning it. To make a six there was a massive crime in terms of winning the tournament so he didn't shoot a bad round he just wasn't as good as the others were and Kepka coming screaming up from behind played brilliantly Ram hit the ball amazingly well Morikawa was he started from the first tee ripped it 320 yards into the wind right down the middle of the fairway so there was an opening statement right off the bat there
0: John Rahm, I think, is uh, back to number one in the world this week and, and heading to the Olympics in Tokyo next week. But I think Rahm had four top
2: tens in the majors this year. So,
0: um, you know, he's he's really playing some great golf, isn't
2: he? Yes. Is. I mean, I, does anyone really care who's number one in the world? You know, it's always who's playing the best golf. And, I mean, you know, it's kind of, it wasn't up for dispute for 15 years who the best player was. Tiger was the best player. Whether he was number one or not he was the best player but you know, right now there are sort of five or six guys that are all playing tremendous golf and you know they say that we'll never see an era like the woods era when players when one player will separate themselves from the others but they were saying that before tiger as well and someone always comes along who separates themselves from the others it's just is it going to be one of this lot or or is it going to be someone in 10 years who does it? We, you know, that's the the question we don't know the answer to.
0: Hopefully it's Elvis Smiley or Cameron Davis or someone like that.
2: Well, hopefully, but, uh, you know, the Australians need to start doing better in the majors. They've had a great year on the tour, but, again, it was another kind of disappointing performance, really. Two guys made the cut. Cameron Smith started off ninth and buried the last two holes for 74, I think, which was... Tied thirty third, yeah. So, so it was a it was certainly an ordinary year in the majors for the Australians.
0: Well, we might talk a bit about that because uh, you know Adam Scott was tied forty sixth. Uh, you know Mark Leishman missed the cut by one and and damaged his putter and had to putt with his wedge, which we'll ask Huggy about uh, later on. But it was uh, it was a quiet week for the Australians. The the good news of the week around the world was that Grace Kim won again. Sydney's Grace Kim who's the Australian amateur women's amateur champion at the moment she's actually won two pro events on the women's all pro tour in America this week she won in Arizona uh, she would have picked up eight grand I think Clates had she been a pro but she's playing as an amateur I think just uh what, what do you make of that just uh uh you know using the the most of her status uh, before she actually turns pro which she clearly is going to
2: so I I I assumed she was playing as a pro, so she's playing as an amateur. Yeah. Might as well be a pro and get the money. Um, So does that tour get her some sort of exemption out of the Symmetra tour? Is that the plan or is it a plan to go to the tour school at the end of the year, if they have one, assuming they have one?
0: I think tour school, yeah. that. It it did, uh, the last win that she had, not this one, the previous one, it got her a start on the Symmetra tour. So she's just tiptoeing up to the tour school, I think. But she just keeps keeps winning. So maybe she's underestimated herself.
2: Yeah, she plays well. She's good. So you know, the hardest thing for all those kids is to actually get on the LPGA Tour, which is, uh, you know, it's well, it's not the only Tour to play in women's golf because the Japanese Tour and the Korean Tour are tremendous Tours. Now, the European Tour is almost fourth in line in, in the women's game. But really, the, the the place you've got to play is the LPGA Tour for an Australian player, so... Obviously, that's her goal.
0: So a quick wrap-up of uh, what happened overseas on the weekend. Greg Chalmers was tied 31st in the Barbasol in Kentucky on the PGA Tour. Uh, on the LPGA, they had that sort of funky team event, the Great uh, Dow Lakes Invitation, which Minji Lee partnered with Yuka Sasso, the major winner from earlier in the year, and finished fifth in that behind the Jutanagan Sisters. Brett Druitt played well again on the Corn Ferry. He was tied sixth... He's actually number 22 on their points list, which uh, gives him a very good chance of getting a PGA Tour card for next year. And on the Challenge Tour, Blake Windred from New South Wales finished tied 11th, which is the secondary European Tour. And I wanted to mention the Evian Clates, which uh, is played at one of your possibly least favourite courses. But on the Women's Tour, the Evian Championship, which is a major, is played this week in France at Evian Le Banne. I need Ali Whitaker's good pronunciation for that, but it's a beautiful uh, looking place. But uh, I know that you've said before you're not a great fan of the golf course.
2: Well, I've never seen the golf course, but I've never heard anything good about it. Really, it's um, I, I guess they bought their way into the guy who puts the money up. Obviously, bought his way into a major status tournament. When in truth, it probably doesn't deserve it. But you know are There are great courses in Paris where they could play an amazing women's major, chantier or Fontainebleau or Fontaine even, but to to play it on a less than stellar golf course is not ideal when you talk about major championships. The one thing women's golf has over men's golf is men's golf needs big, long courses and massive venues to hold majors and the women's game needs neither. It doesn't need big venues and it doesn't need long golf courses. So there are so many great courses in America around the war that women's golf could go to that would make their game even more compelling by playing it on better architecture. And it's the one thing that, that tour I think has always missed out on is the, the quality of golf courses they play. Because inevitably it's more interesting when they play on the better golf courses.
0: Mm, well, Royal St George's was probably an example of that last weekend. Minji Lee's playing this weekend. Steph Kiriakou's having a run. Uh, she's playing most of her golf on the L.E.T., but she's in the field this week with Sarah Kemp, Catherine Kirk, and, of course, Sue Oh, Minji Lee, having finished fifth last weekend, still hasn't got a major. Um, So, you know, she's working up towards the Olympics as well, but uh, that's becoming a bit of a a millstone that, you know, she's too good a player not to have won a major.
2: Yeah, you know, they're hard to win. You don't get many shots at it, and the women, obviously the women who will win them are terrific. You've got to have your... You've got to play well at the right time and get the breaks at the right time. And something Hannah Green did when she won hers a couple of years ago. So she's not playing the Evian, having a week off before Tokyo, which is an interesting preparation, but good for her. Yep. Seize the
0: moment, mate, as they say. We're going to take a break now on Inside the Ropes. And after the break, we'll be back with journalist John Huggins.
1: With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes and one of our favourites on Inside the Ropes is John Huggins. It's been too long, so we thought we'd get Huggy back on. Of course, Scottish journalist, Supreme, and uh, a man who was on the ground at uh, Royal St George's last weekend. Huggy, are you on the road out of England? You probably like that road.
3: Well, I'm still in England. I'm somewhere near Leeds, uh, just off the M1 at the moment. I'm at a service station. I've got lots of choices. I can have Nando's, KFC, Pizza Express, all kinds of things. Harry Ramsden as well.
0: What about a chip butty?
3: Well, that's Harry Ramsden. So that it's, yeah. it's a bit early here. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. So it might be a wee bit early for that.
0: How was the week, Huggy? Uh, you know, Morikawa, Colin Morikawa, just <laughs> any way you look at it, he was just incredibly impressive, especially the ball striking.
3: Yeah. I mean, well, that's his uh, his reputation is the to Green stuff, especially the irons. I mean, I remember... Being in Chicago, maybe what, 18, well, more than 18 months ago now, um, at a tournament, and watched him on the range for, I stood there for about half an hour, and he never missed a shot with his, with his hands. I and mean, it was quite hypnotic to watch it. Um, and he was like that again last week. And of course, he holed all the putts that he had to hold yesterday um, to hold off Speeth. Um, I, I, I must admit that Speeth for me is far more interesting to watch because. There's a predictability about Morikawa that um, Spieth never has, and you never quite know what's, what Jordan's going to do next, and I, I kind of like that, especially on our links.
0: So do you think Spieth is back uh, really well and truly, like a bona fide superstar that we know he is? Is he is he really back ready to win?
3: Well, I think so. I mean, uh, I, I wrote about him this week, and the, his problems were all technical. I mean, I always thought that that as, as soon as he got his swing sorted out, if he ever did, and I think he probably has now, certainly close enough to contend in these things. He still was... He he hadn't lost anything else. I mean, he still knew how to win. He still had the putting, although he does miss the odd short one here and there just out of the blue. But that was the only thing he lacked was the ability to hit the ball properly. And as soon as he got that kind of half sorted out, he was going to be right there again because he's, he's got everything else that, that a top player would want. I mean, it's it's kind of the... like. I always compare that with um, Podrick Harrington back in the day when he went to Bob Torrance to to get himself a golf swing because Podrick had he had, he was the same as Spieth he had everything you would want to be a top player he had the the putter game mental strength all the stuff that that Spieth has got but he couldn't hit the ball um, and that's where Spieth was for maybe the last eighteen months.
2: Speaking of hitting the ball, Huggy, um, what do we make of Louis? Do we is he in? Greg Norman territory in danger of being um, underappreciated because he's having so many near misses.
3: Well, he just kind of—it's almost like he goes to sleep, isn't it? I mean, he just kind of moves down a gear and just stays in neutral. Um, Seems to be in the last round of tournaments, certainly the the last two or three that he's come close in. But um, I'd be interested in what you think. I mean, that—that's my impression of it, but. I'm not sure why that happens. It's, it, it must be a mental thing because that that beautiful swing doesn't seem to change too much. But uh, and he's been putting like you know top player this year. I mean he's a top putter on the PGA Tour this year statistically at least. So I'd be interested in your thoughts on why you think he keeps coming up short.
2: I'm not sure. It's hard to know unless you. I mean he's the only one who really knows what happens. And but it's not like he hits the wildly destructive shots that. Greg would occasionally hit. Um, you know, he tweaked that drive left at 17 at Torrey Pines and got beaten by two crazy putts. Um, hmm. You know, Rahm obviously used his putts up at the U.S. Open because he didn't make any this week that mattered on the on Sunday anyway. But yeah, look, it's hard to know. You just you wonder how you can question his desire, maybe, but only he knows that. Yeah, you know, he's such a beautiful player. He there's, there's no pressure on him to win one because he's won one. You know, the pressure's on him to win two. And he's clearly, you know, second, second and third in the majors this year. He's obviously had a great year, but it's a mystery to me why he doesn't stumble across, well, why he hasn't stumbled across more than just the one he did win, which he kind of stumbled across because he got a great draw on Friday at St Andrews. Mm. You know, he went off early, I think, on Friday, skipped all the bad weather, shot a great score and not only hung on, but he played a great weekend and won, but, you know, he's technically such a beautiful player. You wonder why he hasn't won more. In contrast to Murakara, who's played so few but just rifles it. I mean, he reminds me of Hale Irwin in a little bit. You know, just he was the – Irwin mm. and Langer were the two kind of premier precise iron players of our generation i remember watching erwin play the last six holes of a 64 at Royal melbourne it was i was a kid i thought wow that's a different level to i thought was possible and i've never seen moroccoa play but he that ran on friday was it where he just kept stiffing those irons and i mean Lou, louis got ahead i guess because the weather calmed down on friday afternoon. He, was three ahead, but Morikawa looks like he's an amazing player to the point where but, know, uh, Rod Rod Murray and I had the discussion earlier today about who, who would you watch. And you, I know you said you'd watch Spieth. I think I'd watch Morikawa <clears throat> just for you know it's not very often you see someone that great with the irons.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always drawn to the. The more artistic. I mean, uh, not that uh, Morikawa is that scientific. I don't think it because it's a beautiful thing to watch, as you say. But uh, I'm I'm drawn to the guy that uh, that makes the odd mistake and, and recovers, uh, and Spieth, Spieth is that guy. And uh, but speaking of Louis, I mean, uh, he, he didn't talk uh, at the end of yesterday, so he's obviously bothered by this. And I could tell earlier in the week um, when he came into the press conferences. He was getting peppered with, you know, the inevitable questions of why aren't you winning? Uh, Why why do you keep coming second? And I could see he was getting a little bit tired of that. There wasn't any real signs of irritation, but there was a couple of sighs and a bit of a rolling of the eyes. And I wasn't that surprised when he didn't speak on Sunday night because um, what's he going to say? And he, he actually, Spieth did the same thing the night before after he missed that. Silly putt on the 18th green. He stomped off to the practice green and didn't speak to anybody either. So um, it's, it's not a great time to be a member of the print media. No, nobody's talking. Well, to
2: this, I mean, uh, Bryson aside, how many of them really say anything worth listening to anyway? And I know you've got another point of view on that, but when was the last time we really saw someone say anything illuminating in a, in a post-round press conference in tennis or golf?
3: Well, Yeah, there are exceptions. I mean, speed's pretty good. Um, Rory's
2: always good. good, Yeah, Yeah,
3: Rory actually, he listens to the questions and thinks about the answers, which is a pretty basic thing to do. But he's uh, he's one of the exceptions in doing that. But uh, but you're right. I mean, uh, and Morikawa is one of he's a kind of middle of the road guy. He doesn't say that much. That's that's too illuminating. I mean, he says what he has to say, and it's all very nice. But. He's a bit like uh, Ricky Fowler's another one. I mean, he's he's incredibly bland, yeah. Uh, in interviews, um, they've, they've obviously been coached to to play safe. But um, golf, like every other sport, needs a bit of you know something. You don't need controversy all the time, but something a wee bit short of that doesn't go amiss.
0: He's certainly young, Huggy. I mean, twenty four years of age to majors already, almost unheard of. And uh, I'm just wondering, he looked. He looked pretty nerveless out there on Sunday, similar to what he did when he won the PGA last year, I think it was. So I'm wondering whether, because I remember, you know, Spieth, when he came out, was a bit like that. And it kind of got into his head eventually. I wonder whether that'll happen to Morikawa at some point.
3: Well, I mean, he's got the, the claw grip going on the putter. I mean, for all that... I mean, his putting was extraordinary yesterday, but, but that's very much the exception for him. I mean, that that is the... If there's a weakness in his game, that that's what it is. And and it, as you say, he's only 24. And he's like... Salah is the same. I mean, he's got some weird and wonderful putting grip, and he had an incredible yip um, at Royal St. George's before he had to withdraw because he caught himself in the rough, yeah, which we can talk about later. But uh, I, I worry when guys that age are... Go into. I mean, it, it, it's not quite got the the stigma that it used to have these these funny grips, but when you're young and you've gone to something like that, I tend to think that there, there's something going on there. There's a, there's a little bit, of, at least a little bit of an issue.
2: Yeah, but Huggy, I remember as an amateur, I was putting cross-handed in the Lake Macquarie tournament, which I think you've played, and mm. Jack Newton was commentating, and I heard him say, uh, well, it's a bit young to be going to that sort of grip, and it was Jim Furyk's father who Nicholas and Gary Player played an exhibition at Jim Furyk's dad's course, where he was a club pro, and he asked them if they were starting again, what would they do differently? And they both said we'd putt cross-handed, or, or well, I'd putt cross-handed, which is why I think Furyk's father taught Jim to putt cross-handed. I wonder whether you know these different grips that, that there are stigmas attached to them. And it takes a while for the stigma to wear off because they're actually pretty efficient grips that work. Pretty well, they
3: well. are. I mean, that, there's a reason they're going to these grips. But as I say, when when you're young, you're and you're as that good a player, uh, I mean, most of the guy, I mean, you, you don't think about putting that much when you're young. You just knock them in. That's this generalisation. I know, but that they've obviously putted really poorly at some point and for some time, maybe, and that's why they've switched to that grip. That, that's what makes me slightly concerned in the looking at it in the long term.
2: Or maybe they think it's a better grip and they can putt better using that grip. I'm not sure.
3: Well clearly they are yeah. putting better with it, yeah. But but there's a but there's a reason why they've switched. That's my you know, there's been a lot of, there's been at least a period of poor putting, which is not a great sign when you're that young, because generally speaking, young kids putt great.
2: Of course the other thing is that and we watched it with Monty and Feldo was that they would look like they weren't putting as well as the others or putting that well because they hit the ball mm. closer to the hole than the rest. So it just looked like they were missing more because they had more to miss.
3: Yeah, I mean, that was John Rahm yesterday, as Blakey touched on there. I mean, he, or somebody did. He, he putted really poorly all week, ram I mean, he'll, he'll be walking away thinking he should have won that. Yeah. Never mind that, uh, you know, Morikawa played so great and so did Spieth. But Rahm will be the one who will be – you know along with your season he'll probably he'll be the one with the most regrets i think because as you see, i mean every time i looked up he was missing from 12 feet yeah
0: huggy uh royal st george's stood up pretty well it looked very green compared to the last time i went there it was 202 and it was like a moonscape it was it was green and we didn't have a lot of wind from what i could see um but the best players around pretty much got up there didn't they
3: yeah, I mean, the weather was terrific. I mean, and the, but they had some rain beforehand. That's why it was green. I mean, the, the colour of the golf courses here is entirely dictated by the weather. Um, but the, it's been hot, certainly by our standards, maybe not by you guys, but um, today it's going to be in the mid-70s again. So, it, but it was beautiful and there was hardly any wind. Um, the, the rough, though, I mean, goodness me. The, the rough, up the, certainly up the right-hand side of the first hole and a few other spots, I mean, it's just getting ridiculous and they had to have about six or seven guys ball spotting on the right-hand side of the first hole just just to find the balls and I, and you know we've had this discussion a million times but i mean the the complete elimination of the the possibility of the you know exciting recovery shot doesn't seem to me that fits with the, my understanding of what links golf should be about and uh, but it's it seems like the the that even the arena they will just resort to that to keep the scores semi sensible but uh, to me, that's that's really got no place until uh, they start hitting the ball the proper distances. Um, unfortunately, that's what we're going to see. But uh, I, I find it you know, almost distasteful to watch these guys just heave-hoeing the ball part, you know, at right angles back to the fairway. I mean, you know, who really wants to see world-class golfers doing that?
2: It looked, um, to me, Hagee, like the course played really short, whether mm. it was the fact there was no wind. I remember... Paul Laurie holding that 5-iron at 17 in 93 and normally hitting 5-iron to 18 and, um, you know, the fourth was obviously a long hole. But it seemed like there was a preponderance of holes that were drives and wedges. Mm-hmm. It was an unusual wind, apparently.
3: That that wind, um, I spoke to the pro, the Scottish lad, and he, the club pro, he he said that, that that's an easy wind. He, yeah. he, he predicted low scores. Um because of that wind. I mean, the, the 14th, for example, the par five, for all that, you know, the, the occasional out-of-bounds did inevitably happen, but uh, that was straight down wind. And it was the easiest hole in the golf course every single day. I mean, they were eating that up. I mean, they were, I mean, then one, mm. was it the second day that DeChambeau, when he was getting a bit hacked off, he just took the driver out and flew the, the canal or the ditch or,
2: yeah, three, okay. or
3: whatever you want to call it, 335-yard carry. And flew it and he was basically kicked his ball, with his second shot onto the green. So, um, that I mean, it, it the, the course played easier than normal because of the wind as well. What wind there was, and Huggy, did you happen to
0: see a Mark Leishman damage his putter? Which was when I read that, I, um, yeah, you know, it was sort of very <laughs> uncharacteristic for Mark.
3: Well, that kind of passed me by. I must have only read about that. Um, it's amazing when you're, um, you experience experienced this probably as well when you're at a tournament and you're assigned stories. You've got your head down. I mean, I have to keep making myself look up to see what's going on. I mean, I'm there, but I have no idea what's happening sometimes. Yeah, you're looks- hardly
0: going to be following Mark Leishman, who's tied, well, you know, bat- battling to make the cut. Yeah.
3: I mean, I, I do like Mark Leishman a lot. He's a terrific player, but, but I must admit, I, I was not watching when I, I don't even know, even now, what he did to his butter. So.
0: I believe he did it with his, with his own bare hands. He just sort of went to bend it and it actually snapped.
3: Right. Okay. Well, you know, you can actually putt quite well with a wedge. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Mike Clayton's done that in the past. Mike, have you ever broken your putter halfway around?
2: I've, um I held a six foot putt across the green at the last at New South Wales to make the cut once with a two on.
3: <laughs> I, I had a feeling there might be a anecdote in this. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: That wouldn't be the only time I don't think, Huggy. Uh, yeah.
3: Probably well, not. Probably
2: not. <laughs> so, two seventy six, Huggy. Um I'm sure there's never been a lower score that tied for nineteenth in the Open which was a test testament to how relatively easy the course played during the week. So I guess the other question is, is the, is a fascinating personality and golf, what do you make of DeChambeau's efforts to play last week? Is it a game that works at US Opens and PGA's, but not at Augusta and the, the Open?
3: Well. He- there does seem to be a, a reluctance or maybe an inability to, to change his style of play to suit the, the course that's in front of him because the way he was playing, because of the rough, the ridiculous rough at it, St. George's, he couldn't play the way he normally plays because even he couldn't heave the ball onto the green from some of those lies. I mean, you, I bet you there was plenty of guys hitting shots last week that were the ball was invisible to them. They, were, they, they knew where it was but they, and they were just trying to heave it back on the very, but they couldn't actually see it. I bet you that there was a few cases like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, he just he, he just seems, he can't adapt right now. And, and I think he was, the message was getting through because he it was listening to him one day and he was talking about how he, he, this is the hardest kind of goal for him to figure out was how he put it. Which means that he's, he, he's it seems to me that he's, he's come to the realisation that he can't keep doing what he's doing because that's not going to work.
2: Well, it's surely not that hard to figure it out. I mean, how complicated is it to put a priority on hitting fairways as opposed Mm. to hitting the ball as far as you can? I mean, clearly that worked at Wingfoot and the data tells him that's the way to play, but you've got to be able to... I mean, Nicholas famously at your part of the world, Muirfield hit, what, 17 drivers in 1966? Yeah. So you know, there was the guy who was the greatest, one of the great greatest drivers ever, taking a one on out and winning the tournament by hitting the fairway. And you know, whilst that that plan wasn't necessary on any, any of the courses he was playing in the United States, he figured out pretty quickly that that was the way to win that tournament. You couldn't just stand there and blast away with your driver and hope that all was going to be well.
3: Well, maybe maybe this is just a possibility. Maybe thinking off the top of my head here, but shambles not the straightest off the tee with his driver and maybe he's not the straightest with irons either. You know, Maybe that's the problem.
2: Well, yeah, that could be true. But you you would think with all the analysis and worrying about the dew and the wind and the temperature and how tight his shirt is and all the other stuff that you might figure out that well, there's a bit of science in actually hitting the fairway here. Because it's well, not, that's true. No, yeah, because it's not a long golf course. And the guy that's going to win this tournament, as Morikara showed, was the guy who played most accurately from the tee.
3: Yeah, that's right. I'm just, I'm just proud of the fact that DeChambeau is now shouting four. He, uh, he did, I, he did. I'm, well done. I, I I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that I was the one who asked him why he doesn't shout four. Yeah. I mean, uh, it surprised me a little bit that he went to the kind of blatant lie in response because <laughs> of him. there's plenty of uh, <laughs> video evidence of him not shouting four. But uh, I did uh, hear him at least... On two occasions maybe three um shouting four subsequent to the question being asked, so he's moving in the right direction in that way at least
2: yeah he's an interesting I mean yeah, you know, a lot of people think he's a dick, but he's a you know takes all sorts he's an interesting guy and it's interesting to watch what he's doing and
3: yeah I, I don't think he's a bad person because i I watch him with the kids and the, and he interacts with the the spectators you know just like you would hope that they they all would do so there's many there's he's not a yeah, you know, not everything's bad about Bryson DeChambeau, and he's a fascinating yeah. study as a golfer. But he does need to sort himself out a little bit in how he interacts with the with the, certainly with the media.
2: What do we make of Kepka? Did you see much of him last week? A little bit. I mean, he
3: just uh, he just he he didn't play that well for the first two or three days, and then he just left himself with too much to do. I mean, he just ran out of holes at the end. It was a you know the classic too little, too late. That's uh, that was his week, and he's also, he also he also. Speaking of Deshambo, he spends far too much time, you know, getting his little digs in at Bryson. and he—he he needs to let that go. I mean, this—I'm getting tired of all that. It's yeah, uh, yeah it's
2: like,
3: If I—if I was Steve Stricker, though, I'd be—I'd put the two of them together first match on Friday morning at the uh, the Ryder Cup come September. That would be hilarious.
2: Yeah.
0: That, that, well, that, it's only only happened, Huggy, ever ever since they they um, announced that bonus money for the PGA Tour for being a personality. Yeah.
3: Yeah, well, that's that's a cynical view, Blakey, but you yeah, you might be right. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, that might turn out as well as Tiger playing with Phil at Oakland Hills.
3: <laughs> but but it would be funny. Come on, I'd love to see it. Yeah, it would be classic. A, yeah, it reminds me of Peter McAvoy, the old British amateur champion, and he was Walker Cup captain uh, and England captain before that. And uh, when Luke Donald was playing for England, there was a guy and another guy in the team called Robert Duck. So Peter McAvoy, of course, <laughs> he put them together, Donald and Duck, just, be, for the, just, because, you had to, just because you had to. I mean, how could yeah. you not? So, so.
0: Huggy, uh, when are you coming down to see us again? We've got an Australian Open on uh, at the Australian in end of November. I reckon you're probably uh, in the slot for that, are you?
3: Well, hardly. I mean, you've got to speak to your government about uh, quarantining and letting people in and letting people out. You don't fancy that? And- uh, not not a great deal, no. I, I actually spent some time at uh, my colleague uh, at Golf Digest America, Dan Rappaport, he came over and quarantined to, to be able to be at his first Open last week and uh, he didn't have a lot of fun. He, he may be the most tested human being on the planet right now. I think it seemed like every day he had to do something. It was amazing.
0: Well, I do hope that uh, all that changes. We all hope that. It's been a delight to talk to you again today, Huggy, and uh, drive carefully and uh, yes. have a safe night at home uh, in front of the telly and in your own bed.
3: Thank you very much. It's back to the M1 for me. Nice to talk to you guys.
0: Always good to chat to John Huggin. Uh, after this break, Clates, will be back with the story about the Outback Queensland Masters.
1: With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. And before we go to David Pennell in Winton to talk about the Outback Queensland Masters, just wanted to throw in a plug. Clates, for the Play Nine competition run by Golf Australia, 28 golfers will have the chance uh, to play nine holes uh, at the end of this year. It's usually played... Last year was cancelled because of COVID, but it's usually played at the Australian Open. I'm not sure whether they've actually decided that yet. The Open is scheduled for the end of November at the Australian in Sydney so it's a pretty good prize if you come from interstate they fly you in to play so details are on the website at www.golf.org.au backslash play nine now the Outback Queensland Masters Clates this is quite a a really uh, burgeoning event, I'd say. It won a big award last year for for the best new event in some of the uh, National Tourism Awards. And we've got David Pennell on the line. Is that the correct uh, pronunciation, David? But David's from uh, Canberra or in the ACT. He's in Winton at the moment. He's heading to Longreach for the last of the six events in the Outback Queensland Masters. And uh, we wanted to talk to him about his hole-in-one a couple of weeks ago. How are you,
1: David? I'm great this morning, thanks.
0: So you're in Winton uh, and on your way to Longreach. Um, uh, you had a hole-in-one a couple of weeks ago at, I think, Quilpie Golf Club in, in one of these events, and uh, you, you're actually playing in all six of these events, aren't you?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, we heard about the event and uh, this whole group of 14 travelling with us uh, from Canberra, and uh, we decided what a great great reason to come to the region and spend some time up here instead of uh just you know traveling through as we often have when we go north uh spend some time out here and uh, uh in the small towns which is really what the event's all about
0: and what a great thing for tourism in in those areas what's the what's the golf like uh, mostly uh, sand scrapes i would imagine
1: yeah mostly we started billiwila which um was mostly uh, grass greens and then Charleville, strangely, has a mix of nine grass and nine sand, but they're not nine straight grass and not nine straight sand. So you get a mix. So you just come off the sand and then you've got to putt on the, on the green. <laughs> but uh, it's been dirt and uh, sand greens um, ever since.
0: And a good time had at night as well. Actually, Luke Bates from uh, Golf Australia Queensland told me the scoring tends to be a bit uh, not quite as good on the Sunday because there's a few big nights had on the Saturday.
1: Yeah, that's right. Although one of the one of the ladies in our party reckons she plays better with the hangover on the Sunday.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about your hole in one at uh, Quilpie. I think you picked up uh, was ten grand. I think uh, for the hole in one with a with a five iron.
1: Yeah, ten grand. Um, So on each of the courses, they've uh, set up one of the par threes as the um, ten thousand hole in one, and then um, ultimately at um, Longridge, it'll be the million dollar hole in one. Um, And on. The concept of uh, the, uh, well, the setup for the weekend is that you just play um, nine holes on the um, Saturday and nine holes on the Sunday, but uh, we were the it was on the 11th hole at Quilpie and we teed off at the 10th, and so uh, we were only the second group through in the morning, and they set up uh, with uh, officials at the at the ten thousand dollar hole in one so they can check what's going on, and so uh, they'd hardly finished their coffee when I came up to the tee and uh i'm traveling in a in a uh, slide on campus so i don't have a lot of room for golf clubs and my wife's playing as well so we just set up these small little travel bags i've only got uh, five clubs in there and uh so uh, 147 i would normally have hit a six iron i didn't have that so i hit a five and thought i'd sort of punch it into the green and uh look good in the air and uh one bounce and then it disappeared. But we didn't know that when in the hole, it could have run through the back for a win you at that point.
0: But, well, that, uh, Kites, that's plenty of clubs, isn't it? You're you're one for a handful of clubs. <laughs> well, right. uh,
2: five's a little light on, but seven or eight's perfect, really. Seven or eight yeah. clubs and nine hole golf is great till we play golf. T- yeah, I, I get worn out playing eight holes. I love playing nine holes, but nine holes with eight clubs is a perfect, perfect round of golf. Yeah, it's, an, it, it's, it's actually worked out well too.
0: Incidentally, Clates, have you, have you been out to Longreach or any of those courses?
2: No, never. I've never – well, I've, uh, no, because I, I, I never played that tropo tour, you know, that Pro-Am tour that Grady and Baker Finch and Senior all played in the late 70s and early 80s. So I've never done Outback, Queensland golf at all. I went to Laguna Keys once and I played it. it was about it. I, mean, I barely played north of Noosa. So it's something I should do at one point, but it sounds like fun. David, do you think the uh,
0: the concept works pretty well? I, I presume you, you would if you're having such a good time.
1: Yeah, look, there's about 160 people travelling and um, most of those people are, are doing the, the full tour. A couple of them have been off and been up to the Cape in between and coming back for Longreach. But, um, yeah, the concept works well. The organisation is just fantastic. Um, the, uh play the nine holes on a Saturday. You come back for a dinner and entertainment on the Saturday night. Uh, get up Sunday morning with a hangover and play your Sunday round um, and then a big presentation at the end and uh, so people of all golfing abilities have been playing there's um, there's people that don't have a handicap and so they, they play um, alongside of everybody else and uh, just play in their own little comp um, and initially when we all went to the sand greens there was some um, some pretty low winning scores, but um, of late, uh, on the weekend we had, uh, I think the winner had 23 and 23 for the uh, two nine holes to win. So that's pretty good scoring.
0: And you, you already mentioned this, but there's a million bucks this weekend at, at Longreach uh, for the hole in one. There, if you're good enough to do it twice, that would be quite nice.
1: Well, it took me 49 years to uh, get the first one, so I reckon I'm due for the next one at about 112. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure about this weekend. Will
0: you be back next year? I think they're announcing the dates and venues fairly soon for next year and the tickets are going to go on sale. It's actually quite hard to get a spot, I think. It uh, is. Will, you be, will
1: you be back? Yeah, we'll be back. It's, um, it's been so successful and um, and it's just a great reason to come to the region. And um, like Mike's saying, you know, um, hasn't played in, the, in these sorts of areas, although the, I think the course is probably a bit rough for him. And uh, – uh, no, no, not much greenery to be seen around the place. A lot of red dirt, and um, but lots of fun to be had.
2: Yeah, for all the great courses in Australia, Blakey, the one of the triumphs of Australian golf is how how well we've done kind of rudimentary golf in places that aren't very either suited to it or there aren't many people, or you know we've been great at inventing golf in places like that that um, aren't exactly ideal environments for it. But yeah. You know, I'm, sitting here on, everywhere.
1: I'm sitting here on the deck at um, Winton Golf Club and there's a lady who'd be in her 70s, I reckon. She's just turned up in a ute and she's wandering around and she's changing hose fittings and she's um, putting water on these grass tees here. <laughs> she's, and uh, they were saying at um, Huwenden where we just played that, um, that they have 20 members of the golf club. 20 members, and they all volunteered last weekend. They are all on the bar and sorted out the course and everything else. But a golf club that survives with 20 members is just amazing.
0: And what a fantastic thing for that club to have an influx of players like that. And uh, to your point, Clates, about, uh, you know, difficult surrounds for golf, courses. you know, like the greatest, possibly the greatest of all Australian players, Kari Webb, uh, learned her early golf at, at Air Golf Club, didn't she?
2: She did, yep. Are you anywhere near there? David? Uh, I don't know, actually, to tell you the truth.
0: <laughs> might be a bit further north, a bit closer
1: to the coast, eh? Yeah, might, might be on the coast, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Well, David Pennell, it's uh, been great to talk to you and uh, terrific to hear that this this event uh, that was a little bit, uh, you know, out of the ordinary when, when it first started, it probably raised a few eyebrows. How are you going to logistically get that thing together? But it's, it's been a, a big winner. So thanks for joining us on Inside the Ropes and good luck this weekend.
1: Yeah, look forward to the million-dollar holy one. Thanks, yeah, cha- Thanks for the chat. Thanks
0: for the chat, Kates. That's a that's a nice story, isn't it? Uh, of of an event um, in the back of nowhere, so to speak. Uh, that that's doing really well.
2: Yep, we don't just need Australian Opens. We need great golf events everywhere.
0: Well, uh, subscribe to us on Inside the Ropes. You can listen through YouTube or the various podcast outlets. And uh, we'll be back next week probably uh, with a bit of a chat about the Tokyo Olympics that are looming.